0: After two years of a fully online event, we're excited to be back in Liverpool with a refreshed Congress. As always, the event will offer three days of education in CPD with a programme that showcases the most cutting edge content for a multidisciplinary audience that addresses the medical, scientific, educational, and management issues in the diverse fields of diagnostic imaging, oncology, and radiological sciences. Alongside this, Is a large professional exhibition of the latest state-of-the-art equipment services and technology available in the industry
1: with the return of in-person congress comes an opportunity to refresh and rebuild the event with an emphasis on networking practical and hands-on sessions case study and discussion-led content content for trainees, generalists, and skills mix sessions and an interactive exhibition. So join us RadChat at UKIO Congress in Liverpool, 4th and 6th of July. Registrations now open.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to RadChat, the first therapeutic radiology oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 47. My name is Naaman Jo Anderson and I'm joined by my fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi hey, everyone. For- A big thank you to our last guest, Stephen Tao, who talked about Leo Cancer Care and being a CEO. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we're very pleased to introduce our guest for this evening, Dr Lisa Whitaker, who will be discussing the Radiation Reveal Project. Hi, Lisa. Hi. So Lisa, please can you tell us a bit about yourself and kind of how you got to where you are?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, and first of all, thanks so much for having me on. I love the podcast. Um, so my uh, my current role is project coordinator for the Radiation Reveal Project. Um, I was really lucky to be given this job on a freelance basis and I started work on the project back in November last year. Um, It's been a really, really brilliant project to work on. Um, It's all about um, patient engagement and involvement in research, which is something that I'm really, really passionate about. Um, And I've learned so much about radiotherapy from everyone that's been involved in the project.
0: So what's like a normal day for you, I suppose, at the moment?
2: Um, A normal day? do you know? I'm not sure. I have um, I have five year old twins, so a normal day um usually involves a lot of coffee. <laughs> um, but what what I love about the work that I do is just how varied it is. Um, so working on radiation reveal has meant that kind of no two days have been the same. Um, I've spent time um speaking to people in lots of different charities that support young people and young adults. Um, such as Check Stock and Young Lives versus Cancer. Spent a lot of time speaking to young people, and um, reading, and um, learning about radiotherapy. You know, a huge variety of different things, and that's that's kind of why I love the work that I do, um, and I love a bit of running too. So I try and squeeze that in when I can.
0: Good, love a run. I'm sure that I'm sure the the kids <laughs> keep you busy as well. Anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Did you know much about radiotherapy before going into this kind of area?
2: Um. knew a little bit um so a little bit based on kind of um i've never had radiotherapy but a little bit kind of based on on personal experience um of uh yeah i had my own cancer diagnosis a few years ago um but i didn't need to have radiotherapy um but yeah i've worked within the cancer sector now for gosh probably coming up for 10 years um so i i I do I I was aware a little bit but nothing really in depth and you know one of the things that I've kind of learned through this project is just the the need to raise awareness of radiotherapy you know with more and more patients having radiotherapy um you know it's what the young people said as part of radiation reveal was that it still wasn't given as much attention as as the likes of chemo Um, and I think that it's great to be part of just um, educating myself and hopefully um, educating and raising awareness in others about radiotherapy and, and how it works and also finding out from researchers you know about the important and fascinating work that they're doing to try
1: and improve radiotherapy
2: as a treatment all the time and kind of advance it.
1: Sorry, Lisa, can I ask, um, what's your professional background? How did you get into being a freelancer to go into projects like this?
2: So, a good question. Um, So many, many, many moons ago, my my kind of early career and background was in youth work. Um, So, yeah youth work and working with young people. Um, I did a psychology degree and masters and then my I went on to do a PhD. I was really lucky to do a PhD and that was all focused on young people's experiences of unemployment. And that was round about the recession in 2008. So, you know, really, really interesting and met, met again lots of, of lovely young people who were um, you know I was really grateful to them for sharing their experiences with me um. but I always knew despite doing a PhD that I didn't want to be an academic that just wasn't for me um, for various different reasons but what I did you know I was very passionate and am very passionate about research and I just like chatting to people um, and kind of building relationships and I guess connecting people together. So um, yeah, kind of, uh, I stuck to the sort of engagement roles and worked for a few different charities. um, And then um, six and a half years ago, moved from Scotland down to Wales, um, so I'm based in Cardiff now. And um, that was, um, you know, I joined a a cancer charity here in Wales and worked with cancer researchers and patients in the public um, to share, um, to share research and to give patients opportunity to um find out about research and inform future research um you know and, and loved all of that kind of work um sadly i was made redundant from that job during the the pandemic um which you know i know happened to a lot of people but that i'd always done bits and pieces of freelance work um in the same sort of area and that really gave me the opportunity to think okay could i could i do freelance work sort of on a full-time basis could I make a living from it Um, and I did for about six months (laughs) and then Uh, Even though I was very lucky to get lots of work and worked on some interesting projects, the uncertainty of just freelance work was not for me. Um, I've got a young family, um, so I decided to try and go back to balancing the two, and I was really lucky to get a job at a charity called Mummy Star. So I kind of work there as my main job, and then I can do these freelance projects on the side, which is brilliant. It's a great sort of combination. It's worked out really well so far
0: thank you for sharing your story about kind of your treatment as well do you find that having been through the system you kind of understand cancer as a whole a bit better or kind of maybe what people's experiences are or just from kind of what you've been through
2: um i understand a little bit so i was diagnosed with thyroid cancer nearly five years ago when my twins were five weeks old um and you you know i'm not i'm not i'm not going to say it wasn't hard and challenging time and obviously that was not that's not the news anyone wants to have it's certainly not the news I wanted with with little babies and I'd had I'd found the lump in my neck when I was pregnant so I kind of had a period of extreme worry and not knowing what was going on or what was going to happen but um, my GP was fantastic. I was referred really quickly, um, uh, diagnosed really quickly and then I had surgery and then between myself and discussions with my oncologist and Macmillan nurse, I decided not to have radioactive iodine treatment um, and they supported that decision and I've been monitored really regularly. So I feel like I have some insight but I've not been through half of what, you know, so many people diagnosed with cancer have been through. Um, so it's definitely, before my diagnosis, it, cancer was something that, I, it was my work life and it was something that happened to other people. And I do think that that personal experience has given me, you know, a, much more empathy, much more understanding and, and much more of an insight into to what people go through. Um, and certainly speaking to young people as part of the Radiation Field Project, I can't believe what some of them have, have been through. Um, and yeah, I just think, I think they're amazing and anything that I can do to kind of support or, um, like I said before, sort of raise awareness, that's, that's what I try to do now.
1: Snap Lisa. So I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer two years ago and I I have, to, I have to say it's exactly the same because I think in a way you kind of feel like oh I'm lucky because it's thyroid cancer because it can be treated and obviously working within oncology you know how much maybe other cancer patients have to go through but it is still those words isn't it? I'm sorry to inform you but it is cancer. And although I reacted really, really differently, which I know I've talked about on the podcast before, but I kind of did a cheer to my oncologist because I was like, yeah, I get to use my own personal experience in teaching. And he went, oh, you're very strange. Um, but it is it is still on reflection. And I think now it's kind of, now you reflect on it and you go, yeah, actually. And it has affected my life and it does affect your life. It, I do think it. any cancer diagnosis it changes you as a person, but There are obviously those times when you think, thank goodness, I haven't had to go through further treatment or or more invasive treatment. Don't get me wrong. The surgery itself is pretty horrific for thyroid cancer and having um, your thyroid removed Um, and also the long lasting effects. But I think that obviously helps you, as you said, empathize with patients about, you know, taking a medication every day. Um, and the realities of that and, you know, being able to actually um, kind of think about long term effects of cancer. It's definitely opened my eyes to that. It's OK to have your treatment and get on with life. But actually, you're, you're left with a reminder of it for life, aren't you?
2: Yeah, definitely. And I was, um, someone said to me when I was diagnosed, oh, thyroid cancer, that's the good cancer to have. And I was like, I cannot believe that anyone would describe cancer as good you know regardless of you know your situation your diagnosis you know that was just a bizarre thing to say um and yeah i i absolutely agree and it's it's you know I, I meet people and i speak to people with various different experiences of thyroid cancer you know as part of radiation reveal and also in my job at mummy star and just exactly as you said joe the kind of longer lasting and kind of psychological effects of thyroid cancer and if you've had to go through the radioactive iodine treatment, um, there was one um, lovely young woman as part of radiation reveal who um, was diagnosed when she was 12 and she had radioactive iodine treatment um, when she was you know a child essentially and that's had a huge effect on her and and even you know at the time she felt like all of the conversation the information was directed to her parents and, and at times she remembers being <clears throat> put out the room while people while doctors and and people spoke to her parents um and yeah it's just we were i was actually chatting to her last night and she was talking about you know the daily medication and she's not she's admitted she's not been taking hers as regularly as she could and it's a bit of rebellion against you know i don't want to be in this position i don't want to be taking this medication every day um but she knows she has to and it is important to try and you know keep well and um yeah, I had no I was so ignorant to everything that your thyroid did before I um before I found I had a problem with mine.
1: So Lisa, Radiation Reveal, I know you've said a little bit about it, but how did it come about? How did you get to work on the project? Um so
2: I seen an an advert looking for a project coordinator for radiation reveal um you know around about October time last year and you know, the project was all about bringing together young people, young adults who'd had radiotherapy, bringing them together with cancer researchers who were working um, on on radiation research. And you know, I remember seeing the advert and uh, you know in the email, and I just immediately replied to um, Alice Taylor G, who was the as the public engagement manager at King's in London and said, Oh, I'm really interested, this is right up my street. Um, apparently I'm not very good at playing it cool because there was obviously an application process, but I, you know, emailed her right right away because it just based on my background of, of youth work and working with young people and cancer and cancer research, it just ticked all of those boxes for me. Um, and so yeah it's a it's Radiation Reveal is a really creative and collaborative public engagement project. It's a multi-partnership project. So it's involved, you know, various different universities in, in London, but all people working within um, Cancer Re- Research UK, Radnet, City of London. And we brought together 10 young adults aged between 17 and 25. And as I said, they've all had um, different types of cancer diagnosis, different treatments, and different radiotherapy treatments, but they, all, they have all had radiotherapy. And we brought them together with um, five researchers. Um, we also involved one clinician as well. And we worked with Centre of the Cell, who are a science education centre based at Queen Mary University in London. And we ran, we did a lot of preparation, but we the main part of the project was three workshops, which took place in March um and the workshops allowed the young people to kind of share their experiences tell their stories um they uh, and hear from the researchers about the research that they're involved in and and for both groups just to ask each other lots of questions and have a chat and we did have lots of chats um and i realized that my kind of group facilitation skills and timekeeping skills could do with a bit of work so we ran over quite a lot but it was just because people had a lot to say and it was really interesting and people everyone involved was so open and honest which you know made that was the success of the project really that everyone was you know happy to share And we tried to create a really safe space for everyone to feel comfortable to share um you know quite quite hard quite hard times in their life you know a couple of the young people are still going through chemo at the moment you know they've still got a tremendous amount going on um but they were they were just brilliant and it was such a privilege to to meet them and hear from them they were fab
0: i think it's the real life experience um, we've had quite a few patients on the podcast and you know they say although I don't know, from from a therapeutic radiographer's side, we see patients in such a small amount of their time doing treatment. If you're on a treatment machine, you might only see one patient in their entire journey once or twice that you treat them. Or, you know, for my review and treatment, like in my role, sorry, in treatment review, I might see them for two or three different scheduled reviews to talk one-to-one. You get to know them better. But that kind of experience um, where you're talking to people one-to-one in that scenario where you're around people who've all been through the same thing, I think it does kind of generate more... I don't know stimulation or conversation because everyone as you said earlier both of you that you can empathize a bit better having been through the same experience I think it's really interesting I think group situations aren't the aren't always the nicest for all patients but I suppose something as structured as this where you know you kind of have an end goal if that makes sense because you're trying to get something from it aren't you
2: yeah yeah definitely I mean we had you know the sort of our aims were that young people had a chance to share their stories um, and hear from researchers. Researchers had a chance to hear from patients, you know, a couple of the researchers had never spoken to patients in this way before, so it was brilliant for them and they really valued hearing patient experiences, you know, for the first time. Um, and then we were trying to work towards, could we do something, could we produce something that might help future patients? Um, and we're still trying to figure out what that looks like. Um, but yeah we the like you say the project it's not just going to run and run i mean essentially the project is kind of finished at the moment although there's kind of you know several great opportunities that have come out of it including including chatting to you guys um but yeah it was it was we tried to manage everyone's expectations and we also paid young people for their time because i think that's really really important as well um you know they gave up a huge amount of their time and we did pay them for that um and yeah, I think that it's just I I believe that all researchers, but specifically especially medical researchers, you know, it's so important that they hear those lived experiences and they engage with patients um to find out what it is like for them. Um I think it, it it's so valuable. I think patients it's not for everyone and it's and it you know, it you need to sort of pick your time, but I think a lot of people who have that lived experience that I've spoken to really appreciate the opportunity to share that um, and to feed into something that's meaningful and I think it can have a huge benefit for researchers and future research Um, and the young people I mean some of them came up with some great ideas about what they thought researchers should be working on in terms of radiotherapy and and different things And, and they produced little diagrams and oh I mean it was just brilliant that what they came up with.
0: I think in research or in any kind of thing, you're always very target or endpoint focused, aren't you? So having someone who's in it give you an insight, especially this cohort where they're quite young. I'd like to say I'm still a little bit youngish, um, being in that cohort where I don't know. Having cancer is going to be tough enough, but if you think of the normal struggles that young people have nowadays of trying to get a job, come out of university or don't go to university, try and get a job or you know, relationships and problems, but then to have to navigate the system with cancer at the same time, it's it's an incredible thing to have to do. I mean, we keep talking about how good we are at diagnosing people when patients are living longer, but, you know, you touched on that, um, the person who was part of the participant who was 12 when they went through it, childhood cancers. Yes, people live so much longer now, but the consequences are, they're very, very life-changing sometimes, aren't they? Um, Do you find that they've all kind of almost they have really good relationships with each other and have they taken that into friendship moving forward?
2: Um, I I certainly think a few of them will. Um, So one of the things, you know, we've we've already mentioned it, but peer support is, is hugely important. And, you know, one of the young people said, you know, it doesn't matter how much your friends and family love you and want to help they just don't get it in the same way that someone who's been through a similar experience does, and I think what was slightly surprising for me because I know I know that there's so many good charities and support support um, systems and uh, place out there for for young people and young adults, but this project was still the first time that a few young people had ever spoken to someone of a similar age who'd been through you know a similar experience, and. You know it was it was just like yeah it was it was hugely important for them i think they got a lot out of it they did gel really really well together as a group Um, they've got a little whatsapp group so they kind of keep in touch and you know i think like all things like naturally things will change over time and maybe sort of um you know there'll be less conversation or, or or different things will happen but i certainly think a few of them have formed really strong bonds and if from our point of view as a project team, we always said, if if nothing else comes out of this project, just the fact that we've brought these young people together and they've had a chance to kind of have that peer support and, and chat to people who understand, well, that's enough. You know, the fact that lo- loads more came out of it is brilliant.
1: Um, but yeah, that peer support was so, so important. So Lisa, what did you learn from the participants about radiotherapy and radiation treatments? Um, loads, absolutely loads. So some of them had had proton beam
2: radiotherapy, you know, as I mentioned before, a couple of them had had radioactive iodine treatment, some of them had, had ex- external beam. Um, and despite all their different diagnosis and different experiences with radiotherapy there were some like really common threads that ran through all of their experiences um and they were all treated kind of in various different hospitals as well um they we've already spoken you know, so so one big theme of the project was obviously you know like we were chatting about about just being a young person and And having a cancer diagnosis, you know, a lot of them felt like life was just getting started. You know, there was lots of possibilities and things that they could do or were starting to do. And then, you know, a cancer diagnosis happened and that changed things quite dramatically. Um, They they all agreed that much more attention needs to be given to radiotherapy so they felt especially for the people who'd had chemo and others had had chemo and immunotherapy as well um they felt that the least attention had been given and the least information had been given about their radiotherapy treatment um and you know even sort of one young person was told that oh well radiotherapy is going to be a walk in the park compared to chemo and sadly that wasn't her experience you know and many of them they were all extremely grateful to have had radiotherapy as a treatment and they absolutely recognized the value of it but side effects were were a huge thing um and they they just you know most of them spoke about just being really unprepared for the side effects and i know that from I know that from the other perspective sometimes it's hard to know and predict what side effects a patient will experience but yeah they just felt really unprepared and some of them you know were only seeking help when when they felt helpless you know because they just didn't they didn't know and that was kind of their words not not mine um and you know they also worry a lot about the late effects you know just as we were talking about they're young they hopefully they will have long lives ahead of them but they worry about you know what effects might come when and you know what what medication they might have to take and you know and, and different things so there's a lot of there's a lot of worry there um, and you know I think I think just a need for a bit more sort of information and communication and them understanding sort of what's happening and why um and some you know and some sort of practical things that would that would have made a big difference to them um and yeah i mean we've, we've already kind of talked about the sort of need for peer support i mean a lot of what they talked about around radiotherapy was sometimes not about the actual treatment itself but about everything else that went round about it um and yeah just i learned a a huge huge amount i could sort of speak to all day about the different things that they spoke about um and, and it wasn't all negative experiences at all um you know some of them were diagnosed several years ago as i mentioned other people were diagnosed and treated during the pandemic which obviously brought different challenges in terms of who they could have with them and um you know some one young person had to travel up to Manchester, which was a you know a distance away from her home, and sort of stay there to have proton beam radiotherapy during during lockdown, um, and that you know just that that whole experience in itself was, um, yeah,
1: had had a big impact on her. Had the participants ever heard of radiotherapy previously? Because I think the general knowledge of the general public is actually poor, ultimately around radiotherapy as well. When you talk about chemotherapy. You know, Joe blogs on the street, my grandparents, they, they kind of know what chemotherapy is. But radiotherapy, when I said I was going to be a therapeutic radiographer um, and work in radiotherapy, they were like, You're going to be on the radio. Well, you do talk lots. Um, and so that general perception of radiotherapy was just absolutely lacking. Do you think that goes some way as well into having to make sure that people are better prepared for radiotherapy?
2: Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. You know, based on what the young people told us, you know, they would, um, they would even say that if they told friends or you know, other peers um, that they were having radiotherapy, that nobody really knew what that was or what that meant, and that that might that that might mean daily appointments for a period of time. Um, you know, and, and and just kind of, yeah just what that was, just what radiotherapy was Um, and you know I absolutely agree. I think that sort of rightly or wrongly we have come to know chemotherapy as a very um, sort of traditional standard treatment for many cancers and we're also quite familiar with um, the side effects of, of chemotherapy and you know what the sort of look of you know when people lose their hair and and sort of you know looking like a cancer patient and i think that's again something that a lot of young people struggled with like they would they would try and access services whether it be um you know, just pharmacy or, or, or getting their COVID vaccines because they were in a, a vulnerable group and, and, and things like that. And people would be saying all the time, but you can't be, you don't look like you have cancer. You don't look like you're unwell and you're and you're so young. And they still, you know, one of them was chatting last week about having been in for chemo and, you know, and, and doctors and other patients saying to her, but you're so young. And it's like, I think we really have to challenge some of these perceptions and myths um, and, you know, like you said, sort of raise the public's understanding and awareness of radiotherapy. I think it's so, so important.
0: I think it's it's something that's, um, so Dr. Liz Arredin, when she came on, obviously she was an oncoplastic surgeon and she used to consent people of radiotherapy. She herself kind of said that her and lots of people have always been almost setting patients up to fail by saying it's just a bit of radiotherapy, you'll be fine until you know if she was very open and honest and i think we all really appreciated it that when she went through it she realized how actually how hard it is that self-realization of well it isn't actually that easy and we've had emma uh, hallam and kath holborn on talking about late effects specifically in survivorship where again even in a therapeutic radiography setting we keep saying to patients oh you might get some late effects they might happen they might not but actually you don't know though when they're going to happen some patients will get really bad late effects from three months after radiotherapy and that will stay with them until they die but some patients won't get anything at all but we can't keep saying in the profession that oh you might get a bit of tiredness you need to explain it okay you might find that you know you're not able to walk up and down stairs as properly or If you're doing exercise, you'll get out of breath because you've had chemotherapy. And that's a normal side effect is shortness of breath from chemo. But that understanding, it's not just for general public. I think we need to be better, especially as therapeutic radiographers. Joe and I bang on about this all the time. If you're talking to a patient going into the treatment room, you need to make every single conversation count. I mean, it's really, really important. I think we keep underplaying things that can happen. I mean, we talk about skin care, for example, my big thing. But... You know, we tell patients, just put some cream on, you'll be fine. And then when they get a reaction, oh, it's just normal. But then what happens if that lived experience of it, so that psychological damage of every day, they're not able to wear clothes, or I've had a patient who couldn't go to her daughter's wedding, couldn't put a put the wedding dress on because just the chest area where we treated, it was so sore, and she had to watch it on camera, but no one had warned her about that, which is, I would say, is quite simple. So I think little projects like this would be really, really good just with these findings. I know you had... Um, an illustration artist. He sent some photos to us. It'd be great. Um, they were amazing.
2: Yes. So um, we were we were really lucky as part of the project. We um, we decided to involve um, Virginia Fernandez, who is a PhD student, um, but she is also a really talented artist and illustrator, um, and she. know she joined every workshop and captured our our discussions creatively in a way i mean i struggle to draw stick man so i cannot you know i i just think what she does is fantastic and and so did the young people and the researchers i think it was brilliant for them to first of all kind of have a record that's not just sort of pages and pages of written text because we you know we could have transcribed it all and and that's fine and you know i find that a bit interesting but actually seeing it visually and all on one page is yeah the the drawings are fantastic and she showed us you know at the end of every workshop because we usually only seen the top of her head as she was sort of drawing away at the end of every workshop she would show us what she'd come up with and which was you know as she said a bit of a draft that she would go in and uh, you know finalize and color in and then so we have uh, a piece of art from each workshop and then just the other day she sent me through the final, a sort of digital version which um, covers everything that we talked about and um, she's um, put us all as little cartoons um, which yeah, the, the young people absolutely loved as well and they, I think it was a great thing to do in itself for the project but now we have the artwork. The young people were you know, chatting a lot about, well, how could we use artwork like that? Could we come up with like a little comic or a little zine or um, just how can we yeah, use it to try and help other future patients? And um, so they really like that kind of idea of not just having a kind of standard leaflet um, and looking at other ways that are a bit more creative and a bit more tailored to their age group. Um, and they were really keen on having something digital as well. So they thought, well, we don't we don't often or always read leaflets. Sometimes we lose them and it would be great to have everything, um, you know, the. To- available digitally and kind of easily accessible on phones and things like that. Um, and they also had a great idea for an, an app um, which yeah, was just way be- above and beyond the scope of the project, but a brilliant idea in itself. Um, and it was great to hear of them you know thinking about how we could use the artwork and, and other things that we could do to help patients in the future
1: lisa how's the outcomes from the project actually going to be disseminated so i'm just thinking for healthcare professionals listening thinking i'd love to see this i'd love to hear what the patient said and how i can improve my practice have have you got plans on how maybe you're going to take forward some of their suggestions and i know obviously the project itself radiation reveals come to the end but what what's the plans for going forwards um
2: so we've we've been so like surprised and and pleased with the opportunities that have come out of the project and just how well it's gone because you never quite know you know and, and like i said before our main aim was that it was a positive meaningful experience for the people that were involved but so much more has come out of it you know that than we could have ever expected um so yeah we're We've we're sort of finalising a bit of a summary report, which I want to share with all of the charities and everyone that I spoke to, you know, at the beginning, you know, at the start of the project, um, because it would be great for them to kind of find out how it went and, and again sort of keep those conversations and, and relationships going. Um yesterday I met with the teenage and young adult a cancer team at Guy's because they were really interested in hearing more about the project, so it's brilliant to feedback to them. Um One of the PhD students who took part, um, she's now going to organise, she was, you know, she was just blown away by the young people and she thought the experience was so valuable and motivating for her work and for her as a kind of PhD student at the beginning of her career which again will hopefully be you know long long lasting I think it's great that she's had that experience early on and she'll hopefully continue to engage with patients now and she's going to organise a day in April um, an engagement day for patients in London and and some lab tours and, and things like that. Um, I am going to present the project at the Oncology Professional Care event at the XL. Um, so thank you so much Joe, for um, making the introductions there because that was, you know, that's a great opportunity, um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and yeah, this group of young people are really keen to get involved in any future opportunities, you know, I know that they would be really keen to speak to other people if they were interested in hearing their experiences. And guess one of the things that we want to do with this group is just find a way to get together in person and hopefully bring them to have a tour of the labs and meet the researchers in London Um, and yeah that's something we're definitely planning to hopefully do in the next few months and I think that it's even though, like you said, the sort of the main part of the project has come to an end, I think that we've we've now got a really engaged group of young people and researchers and, and hopefully there will continue to be opportunities for us to share what we've learned um and and yeah, hopefully make a difference.
1: It sounds amazing and I already can picture therapeutic radiographers and radio therapy departments going oh yeah we could get involved and I know Naaman and I have had discussions about how podcasts can help um, ultimately disseminate the project but also maybe work with those people to think about how we can educate therapeutic radiographers, we have lots of academic friends um, who follow the podcast and support Naaman and I and even using that to help train the future workforce I think is really really important and I know with the podcast it's easy to think that we focus on radiotherapy and radiation treatments but actually it's it's hopefully a vehicle that we can use to link out to other allied health professions gps to again all just say the same message about radiotherapy even saying radiotherapy might be a cancer treatment option will allow someone to then go away and maybe do some further research and we definitely need to improve our visibility and um, i know dr amanda boulderston who's been on the podcast before did um, a tweet the other week about the images that are on Google. Really simplistic. You know, you Google radiotherapy and ancient, old-style linear accelerators are on show. Um, And you just think, no wonder. Because if I was anyone, the first thing they're going to do is Google radiotherapy, look at some images and see these really old grey pieces of kit and go oh my gosh, what are they going to do to me? Um, so it's it's from start to finish, isn't it? It's the information that's out there in the public domain to hopefully help educate people.
0: I think some of the work um, you've done is obviously linking in Radiotherapy UK as well. It's a charity that Joe and I do a lot of work with. So it's the main kind of charity, if you want, for the UK around just radiotherapy. They do a lot of work, but I think some of this info and disseminating it through that almost to the level of kind of with MPs um so I know this last week week before they um they went to parliament to drop the letter off about catch up with cancer but these are the sort of lived experiences that people need to listen to um especially up to that level um and yeah I I think it's brilliant
2: yeah and I was I was really um encouraged by the the young people in the group as well because they were in the whatsapp group that they've got um going they were um one other young person was sharing the survey for the government's 10-year cancer plan in England and encouraging all of the people in the group to feed into that and make their you know their voices heard as young people and that's brilliant you know I just think that's I think it's great that they're they're kind of doing that off their own backs but that's it's their voices that need to be heard as well it's so important and so it's, it's great you know to kind of see them doing that encouraging others and i think when they hear that from a peer rather than from someone else telling them that it's something they should do i think they're much more likely to to actually do it and recognize how valuable it is
0: yeah exactly you know with sort of the conversations they've had and have you picked up on anything around the communication that sort of i don't know healthcare professionals use around them i know with one of the illustrations you sent i remember messaging you back saying the word battle was there and it's not it's not a word that i like to use around cancer right in any way but i think you said lots of patients had used that to describe different parts of their journey as well
2: yeah so so yeah and i i am also as you are like very conscious of the language that we use around cancer um and how you know, yeah emotive that, that that can be and the the word battle was really used by the young people only in terms of their diagnosis and and often So a few of them were diagnosed after presenting at A&E because that's how bad it got. You know, they'd they'd tried, they'd went through various different routes, but actually, you know, the situation had just got so bad they went to A&E and then that's what led them to be diagnosed. And that's just that i just think that's not on i don't think people should be having to to do that and go to those lengths and be in that level of pain um and so that was really where a lot of the, the battle descriptions were coming in they absolutely you know agreed um that they didn't really want the battle and fight language to be used in terms of their treatment and in terms of them living with a cancer diagnosis um it's just not something that they could relate to, um but yeah, commun- communication was really key. The other thing that they mentioned in relation to communication was just just the importance of being treated as a person um and I'm sure you know the majority of people that they spoke to did a great job um, and they mentioned you know some some um radiographers and nurses and and different people just having a chat with them about everyday things while they were going through their treatment and how just reassured that made them feel how comfortable that made them feel you know someone said oh you know i didn't just want to feel like a bit of meat on a you know lying on a on a table um because you know as you guys know and as i've learned listening to the to the podcast sometimes there can be a lot of people in the room and you're kind of lying there with maybe not very much on and it's quite a vulnerable position but actually just someone having a conversation with you about I don't know, what you did at the weekend or what you're going to do or, or something just really normal and every day made all the difference. Um, you know, communication is, is so key at every level in terms of how we talk about cancer, but also, you know, like you said, those, those interactions and they do count, they absolutely do count. Um, it might feel like nothing you know are very insignificant to one person to have that conversation but for another person it, it's massive.
1: Yeah absolutely and I think we definitely see that um, that's part of our bread and butter of of kind of communicating and effectively supporting patients is you know remembering those little details so if Mr Bates went and saw his grandchildren on the weekend bring it up the following um, Monday or if you know that someone was going to go for a run on the weekend asking them how they got on I think that kind of communication and rapport that we have with our patients is is a lot why people want to get into radiotherapy but I do also recognise especially at the moment um, with catch up to cancer and the just the sheer extreme nature of the amount of patients we have coming through radiotherapy at the moment and the staffing issues and the workforce being on their knees it's important that we don't forget that yes we have to get people treated and I think just you know being a therapeutic radiographer is really difficult in terms of the sense that you have to make sure that the treatment is absolutely precise and accurate but you can't forget that that is a patient who's never gone through this before and um, and it, you know, I've seen therapeutic radiographers who've been qualified twenty years, and it's almost like they've forgotten. And I'm not saying that that happens a lot, but I've definitely seen it and the impact that that can have on patients. Um, and I'm sure that's the same for any healthcare professional working in any area of oncology. You know, just because you've been doing it for twenty years and and you've seen everything that you have that you believe you've seen, it doesn't mean that it's any less of a of a huge deal for the patients going through that um so i think that's really really important to kind of hammer home to people um and have knowing that it does have a positive impact is really important again to get feedback on um there's no point me saying it or Naaman saying it because everyone just rolls their eyes going oh she's going on about personalized care again um but actually a patient saying it is definitely going to make a change definitely
2: yeah, absolutely agree with you. And we know, we know that a lot of the things that we're sharing from the project, we know that there's brilliant practice going on and people that have, you know, as positive an experience as, as possible. But we still think that it's, you know, the things that we are highlighting were important to this group of young people. And like you say, even if they're already happening, I think it's worth reinforcing them and reiterating them. um, Because this it's based on on their experiences.
0: I think that being told, you know, you're too young to have this as well, it really sticks with you. Um, So I think middle of the pandemic, when we moved to London, I was having some issues um, and got through the system really quickly. The GP was really nice, went for my endoscopy. The first person, I think it was a nurse practitioner who saw me, said, oh, you're too young to have a problem. I don't really know why you're here. It's like, oh, great, fine. I'm worried about this. I've had to take a day off work, take annual leave to come and have this procedure, go in, very very groggy during the procedure because i got fentanyl to have it a bit of a wuss i've always thought i wouldn't be a wuss but actually i was like no i want the sedation i'm worried this could be a real thing going through the two-week cancer weight pathway thing that's another kind of buzz term, isn't it when you get told obviously that's a quicker way to get a scan etc but it's scary um again even going in the room the i think the registrar whoever was doing it was just saying oh well you're only 27 you know and nothing's going to really be wrong i was like Okay, you don't know that yet. You're not really helping. And then right at the end, I think one of the nurse practitioners was practicing how to deliver the news. I didn't know anything that was going on. Um, they forgot to let Katie, my fiance, in, who was just at the door pressing the buzzer, who was supposed to be there because I was so groggy. Not Everything was fine, but still. I still remember that terminology even just being completely clear everything was fine I remember the nurse just saying you were too young anyway It was just a waste of resources but you know this this everything was fine don't worry about it and I was just every time I think about it now and obviously talking to younger patients now I'm in a department where we have a lot of younger patients just that experience of oh you're just too young but what do you do like you need to be listened to we keep telling patients now oh, don't worry about the pandemic don't worry about this go and get checked out but if you're not getting that support right from the start if I hadn't had that GP I wouldn't have got that Uh, other gps i've spoken to recently about starting other medication or whatever they've just been like oh you're too young to have this problem but it, it happens all the time doesn't it
2: yeah yeah and it shouldn't you know like you say when things are a worry and when you've actually got yourself to the point where you're asking for help and or reassurance or to find out what this is the last thing you should come up against is um you know someone saying you you know you're too young or, or don't worry it's probably nothing that's not reassuring that's not you know you want to know you want someone to take you seriously to listen and you know we know that cancer doesn't discriminate we know that it affects you know one in two people we you know we those stats are kind of i think quite widely known now so we shouldn't be saying oh you know you're you're too young um because i think it it might put some people off, sort of seeking help or, or, you know, kind of seeking that sort of clarification and further investigation. And, you know, again, you want people to do that as soon as possible, as soon as they have concerns, because, you know, you want to take that worry away and hopefully reassure them that it's nothing. But if it's not, if we can get things diagnosed early, then there's hopefully, you know, as many options on the table as possible. Um, and yeah, it was, it was hard to hear the young people say, you know that they were they were told that and still being told that still going through treatment that's not helpful you know it's it's I think they more want the recognition that they are young and like we've talked about of all the other things in their life that might be going on or they might feel like they're missing out on that's far more important to kind of validate than just sort of almost dismiss them and say oh you're too you're too young for this.
1: Lisa can I um ask you about Mummy star so we're really lucky that we've got Pete coming on soon and um, to talk about it but um, it'd be really great to kind of hear your experiences and how you got involved in the charity.
2: Uh, So I have been a big supporter of Mummy Star for five years now. Um, It's Mummy Star, an amazing charity who support women who are diagnosed with cancer um, during pregnancy or shortly after giving birth. Um, And as I've already talked about, I came to find Mummy Star through my own personal experience. So I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer when my twins were five weeks old and... um, I someone mentioned Mummy Star to me and I worked for another cancer charity at the time and they were fantastic but again as, as we've been talking about it's just about finding those people that really understand your specific situation and I remember kind of reaching out to Mummy Star and saying you know I've just been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. I have five week old twins and the first message I got back from Pete who I know that you're going to be chatting to um you know just said you know first off congratulations on the birth of your twins and I've mentioned this a few times to him and I've mentioned it kind of publicly because again it's that small interaction the sm- you know quite a small thing but Rather than starting with, I'm so sorry about your cancer diagnosis, which did come later, he started with the thing that was most important to me, and that was that I'd had these two gorgeous babies, and I kind of wanted the focus to be on them, and I wished it wasn't on anything else at that time. And so, yeah, I've kind of supported Mummy Star since then and tried to raise a bit of awareness and raise a bit of money for them. And um, last year I joined the Mummy Star team as information and support worker. Um, It was quite a different role for me, Um, you know, kind of, as I said, sort of moving slightly away from the engagement work and into a support role. But it's given me such a good insight into um you know the different ways that we can offer support and the importance of listening and just being there at, at difficult times in people's lives um, and my experience at mummy star and my contacts that i've made there have been really great for the radiation reveal project but vice versa because you know i can talk about both and hopefully raise awareness of of both at the same time um so yeah mummy star fantastic
0: oh thank you i mean your passion for it really shows. I think it's brilliant. I'm sure it helps so many people, especially with this sort of work for this cohort of people. that your passion really shows that you want to help. And I think in the research world, as we said earlier, sometimes people are too focused on the end point. They forget who's actually in front of you, but it sounds like you really champion that and it's amazing. Um, so we are coming towards the end of the podcast, Lisa. I'm sure, again, we could talk all day about this. Um, I know we're quite lucky. I think you said you might have some top tips for us from some of the participants that would be great if we could hear those
2: yeah that's right um so if i could have had all 10 of them like as you know when we've chatted before if i could have had all 10 of them here with me then i absolutely would have um the podcast would have been a lot longer because they're a lovely lovely chatty bunch but we did speak about you know um the the tips that you say the tips that they would have for radiographers for healthcare professionals um and as i said before we know that we're not saying that these things aren't being done. We know that many of these things are being done, but we do think that it's worth kind of further highlighting them. Um. So, yeah, so I'll, I'll run through them. Um. so if possible, you know, we've talked a lot about peer support. So if possible, ask about peer support, ask about, you know, their kind of support networks and um and, and kind of who they have supporting them and, and what what they could get involved in. Um explain side effects you know it's so important and again I know we've we've already covered it but you know explain side effects so that as much as possible people know what to expect um, and how they might practically be able to help or, or things that they could do to, to make that a little bit easier um, and kind of related to that is you know you've mentioned the importance of you know skin and skin care and try and be proactive in terms of asking a patient how their skin is and you know not, not leaving them in a situation where they're they're feeling helpless and having to come and say Look, I'm you know I'm struggling with this please can you help me and um, they said think about extra things that people might need to help them with claustrophobia and um, so again I know that's a, that's a big thing but they just said that again that was worth further highlighting and just remembering that people might not like the experience of, of actually being in treatment and be quite claustrophobic um, they wanted to say that if again possible sometimes recognise that sometimes people might need a break um, especially if they are you know coming off the back of a round of chemo or um you know one young person spoke about the fact that when she first went for a proton beam radiotherapy she came straight from chemo traveled up to manchester you know it was long days there was a lot going on and she felt that she was a bit more poorly just because she hadn't had any kind of break you know even just for half a day or you know any chance to just sort of recover from everything else that was going on so i guess it's just sort of recognising that bigger picture as well um, if possible, arrange treatment at the same time each day um, so that people can get into a bit of a routine. Um, you know, a lot of the young people spoke about just having appointments kind of scattered about and they felt like then their whole life revolved around treatment um, rather than maybe if if it could be arranged at a similar time every day, then that, that, help, that would be a bit more helpful. Um, explain what's going to happen and why so that young people fully understand and, you know, definitely unless it's really really necessary don't sort of direct things to other family members like parents or caregivers you know um like listen to the young people and chat to them um we've got one specifically for kind of radioactive iodine treatment but the the two young people that had had that treatment that were part of the project you know spoke about the fact that it would have been good to see the room and you know sort of again know what to expect from that treatment because it is a little bit different again and that you have to be in isolation and kind of stay in 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 a room for a period of time and you know one person said that they just remember the lead door closing and knowing that everyone that they cared about was on the other side of it and they couldn't get to them um, you know that's hard and I think it's not to say that we can completely stop that but just as, as much as we can to sort of help them prepare um, and and all of the young people agreed, as I'm sure that we all do, that everyone should have access to good information and treatment no matter where in the country that they live because one of the things that came through in this project, you know, the fact that they were all they all lived in England but in different places treated in different hospitals and they'd all had quite different experiences some very positive but but others not so positive and they would like to see that a bit better for um for everybody. Um and the final one, um, which I think will always stick with me from this project, is just remember that they're young people first and patients second. And they really wanted to highlight that. Um so yeah, I think that was ten. That was certainly what they wanted to wanted to share.
0: Oh, they're brilliant and I'm sure lots of people listening will really be able to take those on board. Um Lisa, have you got any top tips from you?
2: I would just like to see more projects like this and more opportunities for patients to get involved and for certainly for researchers but also you know all healthcare professionals to engage with patients and listen to them Um, and but to make sure that when we do that it's got to be done in the right way so patients have got to be properly supported they've got to be reimbursed or paid for their time and you know often we're asking for patients to share a lot um, and that shouldn't be a one-way thing you know we encouraged all the researchers to talk about why they'd got involved in cancer research and um you know and sort of share a little bit of themselves as well so that it wasn't you know it didn't feel so so one way so yeah i'm not sure if it's so much of a top tip but i just absolutely champion patient engagement and involvement in research um and and with the process as a whole i think it's the i think it's one of the ways that we will make things much better going forward and, and continue to support patients properly No, yeah, and i think that will
0: kind of transverse into all aspects of healthcare really won't it just for everyone and again just want to say thank you so much for coming on you've been a, a huge champion for these people and i think hopefully moving forward if anyone out there is listening who wants to do this sort of research get in touch with lisa she's clearly <laughs> done it very well it'd be great to model what you've done um but yeah thank you very much <laughs> thank you for everyone for listening to rad chat so your host today have been name Jo joel Cranston and joe mcnamara so again huge thank you to dr lisa Whitaker. um coming on today head over to our youtube page um, just to see a live recording of the podcast if you're utilizing this podcast for CPD purposes please consider the reflective post uh, question sorry we've posted along uh, with looking at all the links to resources and literature that we've discussed to receive your accredited CPD certificate please complete the google form link for the podcast um so our next guest to feature will be Pete to war they will be discussing the amazing charity mummy star and his role as ceo and um, so thank you